Hi, and welcome to the Trail to Austin, the place to get to meet the people of Austin and find out how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morse, and joining me via the internet somehow, some way, is Joel McCall. Hello, how are you? How you doing, Bob? Good, how about you? Very good, washing my hands religiously. Yeah? I tell you, I've got so much disinfectant on my hands, <laughs> I uh, feel like I'm living clean. Yeah, you should. Um, yeah, I definitely have gone through more sand, hand sanitizer in the past, uh, month than I'd probably do in a year. So. Yeah. Well, please tell me you haven't been drinking any or doing any of the Clorox chewables. No, 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 no. I, I, I tend not to chug Clorox. It's a sipping drink. Yeah. So, um, it's funny, we were discussing right before we came on air that uh, our guest today is somebody I'd contacted a little over a month ago about being on the show, and and because of some technical issues we were having, and uh, obviously a pandemic coming along, uh, we didn't get him in until... I know. We didn't get him in until, until today, but actually it probably be will be more interesting today than it would have been a month ago, so... With that, I'd like to welcome the owner of the uh, Texas Sausage Company, Scott Feebig. Hey, Scott. how are y'all doing? How's it going? Good. How about you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of curious. What? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, where did you grow up? How did you? You know, what did you? Where'd you come from? Uh, well, so born and raised here in Austin. Oh. Uh, been here all my life, mainly down in South Austin. Uh, south southwest Austin. Um, after high school, ended up deciding college wasn't quite for me. Went to the fire department. So I worked for uh, one of the local fire departments for 16 years. Um, during that time, anything from code enforcement, fire investigations, frontline firefighting. Uh, unfortunately, that career came to an end after a couple of injuries and uh, wasn't able to do the job anymore. So I uh, needed to find something to do, and one of my previous hobbies was always doing all my own deer processing, making my own sausages and everything. So I uh, stumbled across Texas Sausage Company as a, in the business listings, and uh, as soon as I tried some of their products, it reminded me of what I grew up with. So it was kind of a no-brainer after meeting the owner and learning the history of the business and getting along with everybody just worked. So that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, kind of touch on the history of the business. It's, it had been around for a long time. I understand. Yes. So it started back in 1942. Um, it's had a couple of different names over the years. Uh, long time ago, it was the Acme meat company. Um, it was known as Texas Beef and Sausage for a little while, and most recently the name of Texas Sausage Company, I believe. So I am, I want to say I'm the fourth owner of it. The original gentleman that started it was, his name was Gene, and uh, Gene's great nephew is the man I purchased the business from. Okay, so it's been a family business. Uh, well, in between Gene and the great nephew, Bobby Hudson, of Hudson's oh. we owned it for there for a while. So uh, it has he sold it back to the family. Yeah, yeah. The and, and Bobby's always had uh, 
couple of different meat endeavors in town mm-hmm. over a long period of time besides just Hudson's. Um, so, and he still actually will stop by the shop and visit and his sons will come by every now and then. It's a great family. So it's always nice to pick their brains and hear some of the stories. Um, but if it wasn't for Bobby, we wouldn't have the smokehouse in the back. He's the one that installed that. Nice. So what year did you purchase it? Uh, so I purchased it, uh, I guess officially in 20, 17 or 18. Um, uh oh. <laughs> One of the dogs was not happy about being yeah. kicked out of the room. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> I had to lock mine outside earlier. Uh, no, I think it's 2018, early 2018, if I recall. It's not late 2017. Okay. So, and um, you guys offer quite an array of products. I mean, you, you're not just sausage. You, uh, I know you have a. Uh, Fresh cut meat for sale as well? Meat counter? Yes. So uh, it's primarily sausage. Um, however, with what's going on, I have expanded the selection to include some of the fresh cut meat, some uh, pork chops and whatnot. Um, I've actually brought in – right now the fresh cut meat mainly is pork chops, uh, but I do carry briskets, ribs. I carry mutton, which is not a common thing that you see around anymore, but uh, still pretty popular. You know, if it wasn't for costs, I would still carry stuff like oxtail and some of those others. But oxtail got popular a while back, and per pound, it's more expensive than a ribeye sometimes. So, wow. you know, um, I, I brought in some bonus pork. I'm going to do some big butterfly chops, and I got some uh, pork tenderloins that we're going to start putting out as well. Nice. I'm just kind of kind of trying to feel out the customers to see what's going to move the best, what they what they want, and kind of kind of go from there. Okay, so let's you know we had a chance to talk before this show, and I wanted to dig a little deeper into your business because I know you supply restaurants and you have the walk up counter. So can you talk a little about that? Yeah, so uh, our primary business, we're a we have a state grade of inspection, and uh, that allows us to do wholesale meats, wholesale processing of meats. Um, anytime you buy any meat product, if you look, there's always that little round circle that says USDA and has a number in it, mm-hmm. or have like a little state of Texas with a number in it. Uh, and that means that that company has one of those grants of inspection, either through the feds or through the state. Um, if you're going to have a business where you process meat and then you offer it for resale to, or you offer it wholesale to a restaurant or market or anything like that, you have to have what's called a grant of inspection. And so that means that we've had to jump through a whole bunch of hoops, have our facility inspected, uh, we have an inspector on site every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, to make sure that the processes we follow are correct and that we're producing a safe, you know, product for people to consume. Um, so that's the main core of our business is supplying the different barbecue restaurants around town. Uh, and it's not just barbecue restaurants. I've got um, a couple of, uh, like a, I've got a hotel that we do on the UT campus. I've got 
a couple of grocery stores that we sell some vacuum package meats to for their uh, counters out front. Um, I've got a Mexican food place that loves our breakfast sausage. Nice. It's it's kind of a kind of a mix of customers. Um, I've recently started working with a group of uh, Brazilian gentlemen uh, making a private label Brazilian sausage. Nice. Uh, they're using up in the Dallas area for Brazilian steakhouses. So what what makes it Brazilian? Uh, it's just the spice mix. Uh, it's it's a yeah. different flavor profile. It's small pork sausage. Um, and it's really good. I mean, it's a really good sausage. We had a good time developing it. So, so it had nothing to do with a, a, a pubic shave or anything. No, 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 no wax was involved. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I know, you know, looking through your product list, you've got quite a few different sausages. Um, yep. were most of those, I want to say heritage that when you bought the place or have you developed some of your own along the way that you really like? Uh, yeah, so the majority of them were the originals. Um, so, when, like I said, Bobby installed the smokehouse back in the, oh, probably the 70s, sometime 80s, early 80s, late 70s. Uh, so before that happened, we only had raw sausage. Um, once that smokehouse got installed, we started carrying those fully cooked products. Uh, the majority of them we already had. Uh, I've added a couple of my own that were just kind of pet projects, something I wanted to try or something uh, like the Andouille. Uh, the Andouille I came up with for uh, Troy from T-Roy Cooks. Uh, he had been asking about it for a while. And uh, nice. his birthday parties for the crawfish boil, I brought it as a surprise for a birthday present. Nice. Everybody at the boil loved it, so now we keep on making it and we're selling it you know, to everybody else. So where is your brick-and-mortar store? We're at 2915 East 12th Street. So that's over okay. there near 12th and Airport area. All right. So over there on the east side. Um, it's been in that building since, I think, 1962. Wow. Cool. So, it was outside of town <laughs> in 1962. Almost, almost, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you do uh, – other meat? Do you do game processing? Other meats like that? We do. Uh, so we will do deer processing uh, for the hunters. We don't resell it, and the meat's not for sale. Uh, okay. Goes hunting as long as they bring us hide off and quartered up, so we can fit it in the meat lug. We'll bring it in, and they can pick through any of the sausages that we have on our regular menu and turn their deer meat into any one of our products that we offer. Nice. I know the Hudsons uh, certainly have uh, made a living on that for quite a while. They they did, yeah. That the you know the deer deer processing business is, is unique. It it only happens obviously once a year, and it's a fairly mm-hmm. short period of time. Uh, but there are so many hunters, and just so few people that do it, or at least that are known to do it. Mm-hmm it's really a really busy time of year for anybody involved. So you said you used to do it as an individual. I did. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would go the house. Yeah. So even before you got into sausage company, you were out hunting on yeah. your lease and, and field dressing. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I've, I've been hunting since I was, I guess, eight years old and haven't missed the deer season since. Well, how how did you learn to process your own deer? 
Well, did, was, did your father teach you that? or? You know, uh, I think it was probably a mix. I know my grandpa had a lot to do with it. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember being younger? We had sit in his garage with an old hand crank meat grinder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which that, that was a lot of fun, you know, but he would just sit there and just slowly drop one little cube of meat in at a time. Um, I, I know he gave me for Christmas one year, and I don't remember how old I was. I was in my teens, at least late teens, maybe 18 already. Uh, an electric meat grinder, a little small countertop model. Uh, so I could do my own grinding a little bit quicker. Uh, so he, he did play a big role in that. Um, I played with recipes over the years and finally settled on a couple that me and my parents really liked a lot. And, uh, you know, that was kind of one of the other things that helped me decide to buy this is that after I'd gotten out of the fire service and I wasn't working because I was still injured and needed surgery, you know, my dad has really pushed me, Hey, you got to find something to do. And he even brought it up a couple of times. They, they live down off I-10, down towards Gonzales. He's like, you know, you ought to set up and sell your salsa chair on the side of the road. I'm like, yeah. yeah. You know, they, I would love to, but it, there's a little bit of health and health code issues. <laughs> right. I can't, you know, I can't just make it in his kitchen and sell it on the side of the highway. Right. Uh, that's one of the other reasons it was a good fit. I mean, it was something I was already leaning towards anyways. So when you were with the fire department, were you that guy that everyone wanted uh, to cook? Uh, not all the time, no. Uh, you know, I, everybody there was a pretty darn good cook. There was very yeah. few of the guys that weren't good cooks or were kind of just lazy in how they cooked. <laughs> okay. Um, at, at one point, we had a guy working with us, so it was actually uh, a trained chef that used to have his own restaurant. Uh, so wow. his, his turn to cook was always something special. Um, and then we have some guys that would just make hot dogs. So, <laughs> oh, that, that's cheating, you know. That's what we said. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the things, you know, that we had talked about was uh, the impact of this whole pandemic on, on your business and how things have shifted a little bit. Can you go into that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, like I said earlier, we're mainly a wholesale uh, business. Um, probably 60 to 70% of our business model was wholesale to the restaurants uh, prior to this. So that March 16th, the new day that's going to live in infamy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my phone was ringing off the hook. Uh, with customers canceling orders, Ugh. which was not a good feeling. I, I went home that day sick to my stomach and just really worried. Um, luckily for us, obviously being considered essential, uh, you know, the, the retail customers really came through for us. Um, whether it was their first time there or someone walking down the street or our regulars, I got to say thank you to them all because they've definitely helped carry us through this time. Um, our retail business has grown significantly. Um, normally Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays were very slow days for us retail. And we would use those days to get caught up on packaging and prepping for the wholesale orders. Um, we've had, 
some of the busiest Mondays and Tuesdays that the company has ever had retail wise uh, since this has began. And it, it hasn't totally slowed down. It's slowed down a little bit because I think everybody's stocked up their coolers. Uh, but it, it's still, the numbers are significantly higher than they were prior to the starting. So uh, that's kind of where we sit right now. Um, we're we're going to be okay. We're positioned where we will make it through this and come out the other side. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of people in Austin that aren't in the same boat, though, and it's kind of just a sad situation all around. So when you... um. When you say you had an increase in retail, did you notice any change in demographics of people coming in? Like, were there more younger people that you hadn't seen before or more families or? No, um, our, our demographic is a really interesting mix of people. Um, I, I have, you know, at the risk of trying to sound bad in a sense, I've always tried to see if there's a certain type of person that buys a certain type of product Mm -hmm. or any sort of trends like that. And it's always just boggled my mind because it's just a plain mix. There's not one ethnicity or population group age wise or anything that come in and buy more or less than the others. Um, It is just a mixing pot of different people coming by. Uh, The reason I was asking Sausage trends all border. It does. It does. And, you know, the good thing with sausage is it's relatively a cheap food. Mm-hmm. So it's really recession-proof. Yeah, so the reason I was kind of asking that question is I noticed uh, some friends of mine expressing uh, interest in getting like a quarter cow or a half cow or something. Mm-hmm. People that would have never done that before that would have just gone to the grocery <laughs> store and just picked up something and now all of a sudden they're interested in this and it's like, well, hmm. So that's why I was curious if you'd seen a shift in the demographics because my friends would have never thought about ordering in the, that kind of volume, you know, before. Yeah. It, you know, I, I, and I think a lot of that, some of it's driven off of panic buying. Um, however, there has always been a better value to buying quarter cows or whole cows or half cows. Yeah. Um, if you pre-buy it, from the farmer, you're going to save so much more money compared to just going to the store and buying that one steak. The only downside to it, you're going to have to freeze a lot of meat. So you need the storage space. Right. And some people have a thing of eating steak that's been frozen already. They say it changes texture, flavor, whatever. So, you know, it's not necessarily for everybody. either. Yeah. So one of the other things we had talked about was uh, you said there was definitely a big difference between uh, the brick and mortars, you know, the, that you've been serving and the trailers and stuff like that. And the, can you, you know, give us a little insight into how that changed? Yeah. Um, so I know, you know, I have, I have customers spread all over town uh, in brick and mortars and food trailers. Um, so, you know, I know for, an instance, one of my customers in the downtown area, um, they ended up closing their doors for a while. I think they're reopening this week is what I've heard. Uh, just simply because no one was going to work anywhere near them, so they didn't have any customers that would even come in for the to-go orders. Um, another one of my customers has uh, kind of, I, 
I hate to call it capitalized on the situation, but they've adjusted to it very well. They're using some of their catering capabilities and uh, going out to different local neighborhoods and setting up in a neighborhood to sell directly to people in their own neighborhood. Nice. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, it, it was a great move on their part, I think, as far as a way of keeping someone employed and making it convenient to folks that don't want to leave their house or don't want to travel that far. Um, food trailers have been a mix. Um, a lot of the food trailers that I service are still open. Uh, obviously, people can't sit down and enjoy the weather. Mm-hmm. It's been quite rainy, so not many people were going to do that anyways. Uh, but they've seen kind of some ebbs and flows. Some, you know, earlier in the week, it's a little bit slower. Later in the week, it's a little bit busier. Uh, they're trying to do some pre-orders and stuff now to help judge how much to cook. Because that's the hard thing with the barbecue industry is that uh, – you you don't ever want to cook too much because you don't want to have waste. Right. But on the flip side, you don't necessarily want to cook too little and run out. Franklin's is the the opposite of that. I mean, he he's he runs out every day, but he, there's just not much more brisket he can fit on his pits. Right. Right. Yeah. He's got four huge pits, and he's cooking 100 briskets a day, 110 briskets a day. There's just such a high demand for him. He, he just can't handle it with everything else that they serve on their menus. So he's kind of the outlier in that equation. But, uh, you know, for those guys in the trailers, it's hard for them to judge, especially when it's, you know, one man show, two man show. You know, okay. It's, it's a Thursday show, put two briskets on or one or four. Um, so there, I've, I've seen fluctuations with those guys. Most of them are doing pretty good. Now, there's a couple of guys uh, that ended up closing their trailers for a while because uh, they're set up in the parking lot next to a bar, uh, two different customers of mine. And with the bars being closed, you know, their core customer base isn't around where they're making it just. Yeah, it wasn't you know, making pro- sense. Yeah, the decision was kind of made for them. They didn't have a captive audience. Uh, so, unfortunately, those guys ended up closing for a while. But. It's been such a mixed bag on how how it's been working for everybody from what I've seen. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping everybody goes through all right out of it, uh, obviously, because uh, we've got good relationships with all these guys and, and long relationships with them. So don't want to see anybody uh, go under, obviously. But uh, I know we've, we've seen several restaurants in the Austin area already announce closures and many more to come yeah unfortunately they were you know the numbers they've been throwing out is kind of scary about i i particularly was uh hurt when they closed down a uh, magnolia on lake austin boulevard which was a place i yeah. used to go all the time when i first yeah. moved here and it's like, yes <laughs> lots of good memories there of some very good pancakes yes <laughs> a lot of pancakes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, well, i have a question go ahead there's a there's a lot of attention being paid right now to uh, to meat processing plants, and you know they've it, it's next to impossible to make a, them a safe place to work, and uh, they're predicting a meat shortage because they're not going to be able to process the meat. Uh, and I was listening to NPR, and a guy was 
talking about depopulating the uh, bovine population of up to 2 million cows. And it just seems to me, why, why do you have to uh, eliminate 2 million cows? You can't, could you sell them directly to the public for, for people like you to process or... Uh, you know, people going hungry, it just seems a shame to be destroying food. Yes, there, there seems to be a disconnect there. Um, and so this, the, I'm more than happy to kind of try and explain the situation the best I know it. Obviously, that's, that's one industry level above mine, uh, but I am very well connected to it and I know quite a bit about it. So I'm more than happy to, discuss it the best I can. I might not have all my facts 100% correct, but I've been trying to read all the, uh, well, honestly, I try and stay away from the news today because it's more yeah. than informational, but uh, from the stuff I get from the USDA and uh, some of the other sources that we're members of in the food industry. Um, so kind of to address the first part about making the plant safe, um, so in, in those meat plants, they're, they're massive assembly lines. Um, every square inch of space is accounted for and optimized for moving, uh, a live animal into being a packaged box ready to go out to an end user. Uh, they're incredibly impressive to see. They're massive, huge facilities. Um, and, the technology that's gone into them, the thought that's gone into them is incredible. Uh, but in that assembly lines, you have lots of stations that are quite close to each other. Um, as far as why they can't prevent the spread of the virus in them, I don't have an answer to that question. Um, you know, they... They, just like us, have to go through rigorous sanitation every day, if not more than one time a day. Uh, so as far as the facility itself, the surf surfaces that can be touched, those are sanitized multiple times a day. And in the bigger facilities, I also know that they're taking swabs off of different food contact surfaces, uh, checking for listeria, E. coli, any number of contaminants. Uh, on a daily basis, if not multiple times a day as well. Um, so, you know, it could be a proximity thing. Um, one of the other hard things probably that's a factor is that um, I know it's tough for some of those employees because they don't want to miss work. They don't want to call in sick to work out of fear of punishment, possibly, uh, or not having enough leave time to be able to take off. Um and the other factor is, you know, the doctors have said you can be sick with this and be a carrier of it and not recognize any symptoms or symptoms don't start till 14 days. So, you know, you could have someone that's been exposed that could be a carrier and transmitting it, um, but feels fine and has no knowledge that they're, you know, potentially getting someone else sick. So the, those are the hard challenges that they're going to have to figure out a way to overcome. Um I don't know as if I have a solution. Uh, the there's you know all the current debate about the masks and everything. Um, 
So the masks aren't necessarily the best solution in the sense that they don't prevent the wearer from catching anything. Um, the only thing that they will do is prevent droplets from spreading out of your mouth outwards if it's properly worn, but there's big gaps on the sides and typically at the top. So it can still get out, just not as far as it would if you sneeze out into the open. Um, so whether it's better ventilations needed to, you know, recycle the air quicker and suck more air out, put more fresh air in, a uh, different type of mask with a shield or something, it, they'll figure something out on that end on how to prevent worker-to-worker transmission, I'm sure, uh, just because there's a lot of money involved in it. Um, I also know that the president uh, has spoken with a lot of those big corporations and basically told them that they need to get those plants reopened because they're part of our critical infrastructure of the United States. Um, so the federal government, I think, is going to be stepping in to help the, those guys, whether it's through medical assistance, medical monitoring, uh, money, because, I mean, nothing's free. I, I tried to order a mask for my guys. It took eight weeks to come in. So, you know, they might get some stuff from some of their um, medical stashes and, and get them over to those guys. They'll figure out something on that end. Um, when we talk about the shortages and everything else and having to call the herds that we have, the originally the bigger concern was the pork population. Um, there's an issue with chickens for a little bit, and now beef has become a concern. So the the problem's kind of multifold. On the chicken, uh, they had tons of chickens that had already been slaughtered and prepped. Well, all the restaurants shut down, so the demand for chicken dropped tremendously. So you had a lot of chicken producers selling boxes of chicken meat out of their parking lot to the general public, which they never did, uh, just because they wanted to move the product before it went bad. Um, so that was an innovative step that they took to help move product to keep it going. Uh, everything has a capacity. So right now, if meat's not coming out fast enough because a couple of plants are closed or because the demand is too low, then that means that they're not going to be transferring animals from the farms to the slaughterhouses. And ideally, uh, Ideally, you want animals to be slaughtered at a certain age, um, and that's for any numerous reasons. There's different health reasons, fat content, meat tenderness, etc. So, uh, you know, if, if the animals start getting too old, they're past their prime for uh, what they could sell retail-wise, and then they're going to have to figure out something to do with them. Sure. The, the bigger problem that causes now with the cows as well as hogs, pigs, is that, you know, what's the option after that? Well, you got animal feed. uh, You have rendering companies, the old glue stuff, whatever. uh, But they can only take in so much product as well for storage space. So what do you do with all these animals after you euthanize them? You know? Yeah. Well, that's a conundrum, it certainly seems like. it is. And to your point of the disconnect on feeding the hungry and people that need food, I, I agree. And, and the problem is, is that 
there's not enough slaughter establishments. Um, slaughter is a very delicate thing to do. Um, there's a lot of processes involved. There's actually a typically going to be a vet on site while slaughter is taking place um, because they have to make sure it's being done in a humane manner. If something goes wrong, uh, the vet will step in and euthanize the animal as quickly as possible so to eliminate suffering. So it, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and so they can't just ship an animal to me because I have no way of humanely slaughtering it and everything else. So it's got to it's got to start at those points. Now, there's a lot of smaller slaughterhouses nationwide. You know, if, if they could do a coordinated effort to get everybody on board, say, hey, what's the maximum amount you can start taking in? If you need to pay overtime, how much money are you going to need? You know, and I'm sure that they're talking about that way high up the food chain. Um, but, but that could be one option on how to at least save this uh, population that we currently have on the farms from being wasted. Yeah, because uh, right now it seems like kind of a lose-lose for everybody. You know, the farmer loses out on being able to sell exactly. his product. The people who want to buy it lose out. You know, and then the, the middleman is cut out because there's nothing to process, right? Exactly. And, um, you know, and, and the other downside to it, too, is they, you know, I know in the pig world they were expecting a large harvest this year. And so there is a lot of uh, pig population raised. Uh, so we have a tremendous amount of pork that's ready to be slaughtered and processed, but it's kind of sitting idle now. Um, you know, and this, the back half of that equation is, okay, so if they do cull these herds, now they're going to have to replenish them for the next slaughter cycle. Mm-hmm. Well, if, you know, if we open up prior to those animals being mature enough to be slaughtered, now we definitely have another shortage right. uh, because we don't have the animals. So it, it's uh, it's it's definitely a conundrum. It's a problem, and I, I know that the USDA, along with you know the president, I know congressmen are involved, um, and and everybody they're they're working on solutions. Um, I guess this would probably be as good a time as any to kind of go into the next point we talked about briefly earlier is that. Uh, this has brought on an unforeseen effect now. Um, and there's been some articles on, you know, that have been out as far as the shortages. Uh, pricing is kind of gotten out of control as of today. Uh, earlier this week, prices were normal. Um, I tried getting some briskets in today and I had a hard time getting them. Uh, they just weren't any briskets to be had anywhere. So, Brisket pricing at the wholesale level changed from about two sixty five a pound to four seventeen a pound for choice briskets. Almost uh, doubled. Almost doubled from Tuesday to Thursday. Wow. Um, other cuts of meat have gone up. I know, uh, like trimmings uh, last week or earlier this week, even like a dollar seven to a dollar fifteen a pound. Uh, this coming Monday, they're going to be two dollars and thirty cents a pound. Um, it's going to be harder to source certain boneless products, so we're going to probably eventually have to adjust our process to bring bone-in items in and debone them ourselves. 
normally we bring in bonus items just to do away with the hazard potential right. of sausage. Um, so, yeah, there's there's going to be some adjustments made, but uh, you know the end result is that the general public is going to start to see a pretty significant increase in how much it costs them to buy their meat products. Um, what I did for our company is I I bit the bullet today. And I, I bought about a two week supply worth of meat, plus or minus some that I'm going to just fill up my walk in freezer. Um, that way I can last as long as possible at our current price structure. Uh, mm-hmm. I know people aren't working right now. Money's tight for a lot of folks. So I want to do as much as I can to keep things as affordable as possible for as long as possible. Good for you. Yeah, I'm sure your customers will appreciate that. I mean, it's like you said, everybody's kind of struggling right now, you know, where a lot of people are, and uh, that's the last thing they need is a huge increase in their grocery bill. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's it's a different world we live in. (laughs) You know, it's it's a totally different time for all of us. Um, You know, I think my grandpa died just a couple of years ago now, but if he was alive today, I, I don't even think he would believe what's happening because, you know, even through, he was 88 when he passed away. Uh, so it would have made him 90 now. He, they didn't have to go through anything this wild. You know, like we haven't seen stuff like this in a long, long time. Well, so, just as a personal note, and I'll tell you a little story here that uh, a couple of years ago, my I just lost my grandmother uh, about two two years ago. Uh, she was ninety five, and uh, one day, my uh, wife's father was over at, at my mother's house, and my grandmother was there, and they were the subject turned to the Great Depression, right, and you know stuff like that. And he was on the East Coast, and so he said. Yeah, you know, we had trouble getting some things, you know, and this and that. And my grandmother said, well, that's funny because when we go in the grocery store, there wasn't anything to buy, you know, even if we'd had the money. So, you know, it's a little, there's a different perspective there from people, you know, depending on where they're at and stuff like that. But it's, it's something that people of our age, our generation have never had to face before. You know, some people have faced it in the past, but this is something that's going to be quite different for everybody. It, it will, it will for sure. Um, you know, I, and I know a lot of people, you know, some people remember the old government cheese. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we might be starting to see stuff like that coming back. Uh, you know, that, that was the government cheese came about because of an overproduction of milk because mm-hmm. of needs of time and they needed something to do with all that milk. So what they do, they make a stable cheese product. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we might start seeing something like that, you know, happen again, but only time will tell. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a question. Uh, where, where do you source your meat as it comes in? So I use, um, uh, a couple of different vendors. I use Colorado box beef and pet quality foods mainly. And, uh, they're getting it from several different sources. Uh, sometimes the briskets come in from IBP, which is now part of Tyson. 
um, cork products. We see uh, a mix sometimes from Seaboard Farms, which is a Texas company. Um, beef is just kind of a mix. It, it can be anywhere. Uh, I do stick to all U.S. products. I don't buy any Mexican beef. Um, it, it's a little bit cheaper, but I, I find that it's normally a little bit leaner and not quite as quite as good of a quality as, as American raised beef. I mean, I think it's just a simple breed issue as well as a climate issue. Uh, being a warmer, drier climate, I think their cows are a little bit leaner than ours. Right. Um, no, so I was just it, wondering if, you know, if these are some of the plants that you have to deal with that, you know, obviously are going offline and stuff like that. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, because I, I get stuff from JBS and several of the others. So I know, you know, between JBS and uh, Tyson, they've they've lost some. Now, whether that's the specific plant where some of my stuff gets boxed, I couldn't tell you. Right. I look up the tracking numbers. But, uh, you know, JBS has tons of plants. Um, Tyson has tons of plants. So, you know, when one goes down, the others are still up and going. So they're still pushing product out, just not not the same volume of product. And how many guys do you have working at your facility? So I've got four guys that work there for me. Okay. And how many pounds a day would you say you guys process? It depends on the day. Uh, this time of year, normally, uh, we would typically be seeing orders of 800 to 1,000 pounds daily from a single customer. Um, and we would do that along with whatever other products we need to make. So you know, smoking sausages, we typically do that 200 to 400 pounds at a time. Wow. <laughs> um, we, we work everything pretty much in a 200-pound batch. So that's wow. about the average size batch for us. How big is your smokehouse? Uh, so the smokehouse is an older style smokehouse. I can, I could, if I filled it up all the way, I could probably get 800 pounds in there, which would be four racks of sausage roughly. Um, but the way it works, it, it relies on airflow and circulation. Mm-hmm. So that would restrict the air too much. So I'd never put more than two racks of sausage in at a time just because we need that air to move. Sure. Uh, so what, what, what would you use? Uh, I use uh, hickory sawdust. So I, I have a smoke generator that will get the sawdust to just smolder, and that is what we use for smoke. Um, the reason we do hickory is because it's very mild. It does produce a good color, and whatever wood you cook on at home or at a restaurant is going to be the flavor that the customer tastes or the end user. Okay. Uh, we're mainly using color preservative and, uh, you know, mild flavoring. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, it's, it's sad that we've had to have all this pandemic sad talk. So let's have some fun <laughs> for a minute and see if we can, uh, we can liven things up a little bit here since you're a, I would say long time, all time Austin boy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you're one of those few rare ones that was born here. So, um, what, you know, what's your kind of your favorite places to go when you're not making sausage? Yeah. Heading out around town. You know, um, 
it's kind of whatever I'm in the mood for, really. Uh, I pretty much avoid downtown nowadays. Um, <laughs> yeah. I outgrew that a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I do like the food scene here because there is so much different types of food. Um, we're not quite Chicago-level food scene yet. Um, but, you know, from anywhere from a nice fine dining to a little dive food trailer, dive bar, you know, little mom-pop shop, whatever, it, I enjoy trying stuff. Um, you know, when tailgate season is going on for the football games, that's always a blast. Uh, I uh, volunteer with the uh, rodeo on the barbecue committee, so I'm always at the barbecue cook-off every year at the rodeo. Um, obviously, I've got a lot of friends with barbecue joints, so I try and stop by them as often as possible. Nice. Um, it's just kind of whatever the mood is that day. Um, I, I do not honestly have a favorite here in town. So when you just like to get outside and do something, not necessarily go to a restaurant, what, what do you try to hit? Um, you know, if, if it's uh, like football season, something like that, maybe a little local dive bar, uh, go catch a game or something. Um down here in Southwest Austin, we've got a couple of them around. Uh, there's that backspin over there at Mopac and Slaughter with all their TVs. Uh, there's Detour over there at William Cannon 290. Um, Boomers is always good if you want to go shoot some pool. So, you know, kind of whatever, whatever the mood's, mood is that day. Boy, you are a Southie. <laughs> <laughs> Man. He's thrown yeah. out all the names of the places down here. So, uh. yeah, yeah, you know, and it's uh, I I don't normally venture all the way out down Manchac to where like where Stardust is and some of those others. Uh, Moon Tower is a pretty neat place over there at Manchac and Slaughter, though. That that one's yeah. neat. I've been there a couple of times. That's that's yeah. pretty cool. And they usually uh, have some Roller. good music. Yeah, they do. Uh, you know, next door to Moon Tower, you got Indian Roller Roller and South Austin Beer Garden. Uh, all, all three of those that turned into a pretty hot little spot down there. Um, trying to think of any other, any other little places. In my head, I'm just I'm drawing a blank. Um, well, that's good because you don't want people flocking there if you like. No, right? no, keep it, yeah. keep it small, keep it in the tree. <laughs> keep it quiet. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, obviously since you've lived here your whole life, we, we kind of ask people, usually they've been here about 10 years. What's the biggest change you've seen? Well, obviously besides traffic, what's the biggest change you've seen? And it doesn't have to be physical. It can be change in personality or culture or whatever here. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'll be honest. And I, I, like I said earlier, I mean, I, I try and keep my political opinions to myself. But I've seen politics here change tr- dramatically. Austin's always been a fairly liberal town with uh, the Keep Austin Weird thing and the UT campus here. Um, and that's always been a known fact. But uh, over the past several years, it seems like local politicians have leaned a lot further to the left than normal um, and are having a lot more disputes with the state government. Um, so I've, I've noticed that for sure. Um, definitely a huge increase in the amount of folks here from 
out of state, especially, you know, California, uh, Northeast. Um, the traffic is the killer always. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no, and, and I read some article yesterday, I think it was, that they were expecting another big influx here from the Northeast because when this thing's said and done, people aren't going to want to live in large cities anymore, that they no. don't want to move out. Yeah, and and well, and maybe they'll think Austin's a big city and move out of here and, and lighten our load. Yeah. <laughs> so you alluded to it a minute ago, and this is always one of our fun questions. Since Austin's motto is keep Austin weird, what's the weirdest thing you've seen here? Um, you know, everybody knows Leslie, but nowadays Leslie's pretty mild. Uh, <laughs> You know, I know, I don't, I don't know, do either of y'all live down here in South Austin? Yeah, both of us I do. do. <laughs> okay. Have y'all seen or heard of Thong Man? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that that was always a unique experience when you see him. That's um, a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, the other, the other, I guess, weird thing I've seen is just the, uh, the explosion of the homeless population along with the, um, the window washer guys, you know, New York, I know spent a whole lot of time to get rid of the window washer guys. And now all of a sudden they, they popped up here pretty heavily. Uh, that that's definitely something that we didn't have as big of a problem with before that now is a unique, I don't know any other way to put it as weird because the way that situation is being handled is weird. <laughs> Yeah. So finally, uh, we we always ask this question. And uh, if you were to give somebody who was wanting to move here advice besides don't, <laughs> that's our number one answer every time. <laughs> what would you tell them? Um, you know, I would tell them to visit an allergy doctor very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> And get on allergy shots the second you get here because I'd, if you don't have allergies before you move here, you'll have them within a year or two. Oh, I know. Mine hit in May every year, and right now everybody's looking side-eyed at me like I've got the COVID virus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I got a little sniffle, and people are looking at me going, hey, what's with you? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I started doing allergy shots a couple of years ago, and it's the best thing I've ever done. One of the best, too. I I don't know how I would survive without them right now. I just started last month. Yeah, once once you build up, you'll you'll really like having them. And if you miss a That's shot, good. I recognize because I'm hating it right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> well, so. Scott, I mean, we really enjoyed having you on. I think this was super informative. Um, I'm going to ask Joel real quick, and then I'll come back to you. Joel, do you have anything you need to plug this week? You know, we are in the process of opening up the deli uh, little by little. Uh, so I don't have anything specific to plug. But, you know, watch JoelMcCall.com, and when I get something, it'll be on there. <laughs> and as, <laughs> always, as we always tell you guys, go, especially now, as they're opening it up a little more, go go support the deli. Go get a sandwich. I mean, they've got some great yeah, those, sandwiches there. Those so. are good folks. 
They just need some of your sausage, I think, Scott. Hey, you know, we can we can talk about it. I got some uh, good Italian that would go good on a hoagie. And oh, well, you know, they have a pretty good Italian sub. Well, uh, and I actually have a smoked Italian that uh, we developed for one of the uh, food vendors downtown years ago. That's a makes for a unique flavor combo. We had the smoke and the Italian together. Well, I'll hook you guys up, <laughs> now, and I'll be the beneficiary. Yeah, I'll be the official taste tester to make sure that it's quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, back to you, Scott. Now, what uh-huh. what can we plug for you? You know, uh, just feel free to come by and visit us. Uh, for anybody that's out there, we're open Monday through Friday, eight to three. Uh, Give us the address again. It's twenty nine fifteen East Twelfth Street. Um, we're there Saturdays, eight to one. I know everybody kind of looks at us funny when I say we close at three, but we're actually there. We start work at six in the morning. Oh yeah. Uh, so by three o'clock, it's been a full day. Uh, but we got to have those first couple hours to ourselves to get the day going, uh, before we're ready for people to come in. Well, the place uh, are going to beat the traffic. We're going to beat the traffic going home, especially and yep. get there. Um, you know, feel free to come on by. We're going to be there. We've got plenty of product. Um, you know, typically we keep everything stocked. If we run out of stuff, we try and restock as quick as possible. Uh, y'all can check out our website. It's uh, TexasHotSausage.com. And that's got that product list you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And do you have Feel a free. Facebook page? We are. Uh, just look up Texas Sausage Company. We're on Facebook there. Uh, I'm not as active in social media as I should be. Um I've got a couple of friends that have been really chewing my butt about that. But uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I went my whole career in the fire service. I never had Facebook. The only reason I got on Facebook was because I bought this company. So, uh, so go get your millennial and get get on with it. Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm plenty tech savvy, so I can figure it out. It's just, yeah, it's you the know, time. the time and calling things out. Bags instead of pounds. I, I'm used to calling that little symbol a pound symbol. And so when I first started seeing that, I was like, well, what does it mean, pound this or pound that? And I was trying to figure <laughs> out. Because like, you know, on our old push button phones, we had the pound you had to hit. Right. So, yeah, you know, learning learning some of the some of those little abbreviations too that are being used has been fun. But no, we're going to try and get better on that. Um, I'm not on Instagram yet, but I've I've heard that I need to be, so that'll can, be coming at some point. <laughs> you can put a picture of some of those pretty smoked sausages on Instagram. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I've got a good camera, so I do need to start getting some more pictures in and uh and, and getting a more visible presence because uh I know that that's the way people are, are going is Instagram now over Facebook. But uh, we are out there if you just look up Texas Sausage Company, we'll be around. All right. Oh, well thanks a lot. Scott? Yeah, this yeah, was super informative. Um, and maybe we can have you back again after this whole thing calms down and you can tell us that all the restaurant traffic is back to normal and, you know, or as normal as it's going to get. And we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. Well, she, hopefully we can sit down in person and eat one of them sandwiches. Yeah. Oh, I'm in. Sign me up. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> so. Yeah, definitely. See you, boomers. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time on the Trail to Austin. Talk to you later.